Crime Rewind is a proud member of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network. Other shows in the network include The Simplest, Mass Debaters, Crushgasm, An Evening at the Movies, Men Are the Prize, Literature Reapers, and Love is Black. You can find out all about our shows and more at idnmtrpodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening. Welcome, everybody. It is the latest edition of Crime Rewind on True Crime Tuesday. We want you to appreciate it's True Crime Tuesday, no matter what day you listen to the episode. But we're hoping you're so excited about the new release that you listen to it as soon as it comes out. Um, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I am your host, Amanda, and I am joined by my itchy, amazing co-host, Amanda. Do you know that you just introduced yourself as Amanda? I did? <laughs> Yes, my evil plan is finally working. <laughs> well, I'm Shanna. <laughs> no, I'm Shanna. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna switch roles today. <laughs> How are you doing today besides your itching? Uh I'm okay. I, I don't know what bit me. I'm guessing something got stuck in like the like I had my arm bent, you know, because it's like on the inside of my elbow, but I've got like six or seven bites, and I'm like, what the hell? Oh, so, yeah. gotcha good. I know, but you know, whatever. I'm doing okay. Saturday, got another recording soon and going to Benihana tonight. So I'm excited about that. So yeah, Ooh, eat some food for me. Oh, I will. I'll eat all the food at Benihana. I was super <laughs> excited this morning when I discovered I had a burrito in my fridge. Very nice. I was like, oh my God, I don't remember that, but hello. Anywho, we are here today with a brand new episode of Crime Rewind, where we pride ourselves on telling stories that are old, cold, and often untold. Um, today, I have an interesting case for you that you may have heard of, but it qualifies as cold. It has had no developments in a very long time. So that is where we come in. Okay. So let's get the angry Amanda face scale out of the way to begin with. Okay. Um, I am going to say that this one is probably going to be a four and a half uh -oh. for you okay. just because there's so much bungling, so much just ridiculousness and in inactivity, like people that should have said something didn't and mm. it created huge delays in you know, investigations and things. And you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about as we go through the, the episode here. So with that being said, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. We are going to go back in time and we are going to go to Petersburg, Virginia. Have you ever been to Virginia? I have. I have too, just traveling through, but we are going to be discussing the case of Amy Lynn Bradley. Does that ring a bell for you at all? Um, I don't think so. Well, it may after I start telling you. It the, may the as case. Right. I was so, going to say, it might as this goes on. <laughs> yeah. So Amy 
was born on May 12th in 1974, and she was born in Petersburg, Virginia, and her parents are Ron and Iva. And she was a single, ch- an only child, single child, what? An only child for the first few years of her life. And then, <laughs> I know, we're off to a fantastic start. We're doing great. <laughs> Happy Saturday. And to be fair, we are recording on a Saturday and it's before noon. So bear yeah. with us. So after a few years, her family is joined by her younger brother, Brad. And they, even though they were a few years apart, they were super close. And Brad always looked up to Wait, Amy. Wait, so she's not a single child? No, only a single child for the first four years. Okay. And then they, they sprout another spawn. Crunch so goblins. Yes. <laughs> so he, Brad, the, the younger brother, always looked up to her and always wanted to follow in her footsteps like any younger sibling does. And Amy is described as, like, very determined, a spitfire. Um, she was very athletic. She lettered in five sports in high school and received wow. a ton of... I know, and received a ton of scholarships or offers for a variety of different colleges. Um, But she actually chose to stay closer to home um, and decided to go to Longwood College in Farmville, Virginia. And that was about an hour or so away from where her parents lived. And like I said, the family was very, very close. Um, And she was actually the first student in the history of the entire school to obtain a full athletic scholarship. So that is incredible. Oh, wow. Right. And even though she dabbled in a lot of, I I say dabbled, but dabbled enough to let her in five different sports, she really chose her time. She really elected to, to concentrate on basketball. And she played for the varsity basketball team at her high school. Um, and then in college. And then it seems that, um, she enjoyed it so much that she even got a picture of the Tasmanian devil from Looney Tunes. And he had, he was like spinning a basketball and she got that on her shoulder. From so, Face Jam. You know, yeah, it's definitely 1990s yeah. vibes. <laughs> so she graduated from college in 1996 and decided to take some time off school. Um, and then in 1998, she decided that she wanted to go back to school and get a master's degree in sports psychology. Um, okay. Yeah. So she, at this time in her life, she was going through a lot of changes, a lot of really, really positive ones. Not only was she going back to school, but she had gotten her first apartment and she even got a bulldog, like her dream dog. Um, she got a little English bulldog named Bailey. Um, so then in, oh, I know, Bulldogs. I know of my friend, um, also our sponsor has two of them named Luke and Agnes. So they're very cute. So, oh, I know. So in March of 1998, Amy's father, Ron actually got a free cruise, a seven day Caribbean cruise from his employer. And I'm like, what? Who? What kind of employer gives you a seven-day cruise for four people? So the cruise right? would set sail on. I know the, they would set sail on March 21st from Puerto Rico, and then they would travel to places and ports in Aruba, Curacao, and Saint Thomas. And then at the end of the trip, they would circle back to Puerto Rico, and that would be on the 28th of March. 
so Ron and Iva were super excited about the the trip. Um, and so was Brad. Brad was all in. But Amy was kind of hesitant because she was scared of the ocean. Same Z's. Mm. Um, <laughs> the idea, right. The idea of a huge ship in open water just like just not her thing. But she decided to go anyway, which made her parents super happy. They planned this family trip for the four of them. It was going to be, you know, just this this bonding experience. So they they packed and they booked their plane tickets. Um, and uh, by March 21st, 1998, they were in Puerto Rico and they boarded the Rhapsody of the Seas cruise ship um, from the Royal Caribbean Cruises. Uh, the ship was pretty new. Um, it had been built in 97 and it was huge. It was bigger than the Titanic. Wow. And, yeah. Had room for about 2000 passengers. So that equates to about a thousand guest rooms. Um, so on Monday, March 23rd, the ship, the shit, what? <laughs> the shit has sailed. Yes. That too. I think that's the, where we're going. Yeah, the ship had been sailing and they dock in Aruba. And the family spends the day exploring the island. They, you know, see the sights, do the things. And sorry. That, oh, I thought, oh, I thought that was one of my alarms. I was like, what did I forget? <laughs> so they head back to the, the ship because that evening on the cruise ship, there's going to be this big fancy dinner. And I've never been on a cruise. Have you ever been on one? I have not. Um, I get motion sickness. And also, as much as I am not scared of the ocean, I am scared of being on a boat in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. Right. Titanics. That being said, we're planning one for 2025. So we'll see. <laughs> right. You'll have to keep me posted because apparently this is like a big black tie dinner where the, yeah. everybody dresses up. Amy's in this gorgeous black gown and Brad That's is even that. in a full tux. Nice. So it has to be just, you know, very impressive. So they, po they pose for pictures and they enjoy their meal. And then after the dinner, the family decides as a group to go up to a party that's being held up on the upper deck. Okay. They were drinking, dancing, um, you know, having a great time. But around one o'clock in the morning, Ron and Iva decide that they have had it. They can't hang with the kids they need to go to bed <laughs> and i mean super impressive hanging till one o'clock anyway uh, yeah i don't even hang that late right so brad and amy being young are not wanting to go to bed yet i mean they're on a cruise they're experiencing this type of activity for the first time in their life they want to just take it all in so they decide that they're going to go to the ship's 24-hour dance club 24-hour dance club. Interesting. Okay. I know. I can't imagine going to a rager at 7.30 a.m. I know. like, But, you know, if you're not done partying, you're not done partying. I guess. So at this point, Amy is in a different outfit. She has changed into basically like a white t-shirt, like just a plain t-shirt, and then either shorts or a skirt. You can't really tell, um, you know, based on surveillance footage and stuff. Right. And they are up there partying and Amy strikes up a, a friendship with a member of the ship's band. And we, the band is named Blue Orchid. 
And we will refer to the band member as Yellow for now. Okay. That was his nickname. Okay. Um, they worked the ship providing entertainment to the guests. And it was kind of rumored that they tended to get pretty friendly with the groups of people. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, after some time, it's seen in the video surveillance footage that Amy's seen pretty getting pretty close to him at first you know like when you first meet someone in the club you kind of dance near each other until you right. feel each other out and then you inch a little bit closer and by the end of the evening she's in front of him and he's behind her and they're dancing and they're seen holding hands and you know doing all that stuff and it looks like they just they really hit it off okay so at around 3 30 in the morning um brad ends up going back to the room and there is a confirmed swipe of his key card at exactly 3.35 a.m. At, at this time. His, sorry, his room? Yes. Okay. Brad was went to, a, he was sharing a room with Amy. It was with like Amy. a big okay. family cabin. Yeah. Okay. So he went back at 3.35 a.m. to the room. And it was at that time Amy is seen on surveillance footage um, dancing in front of the glass elevator going back up to the dance club. Or leaving the dance club, I'm sorry. She was okay. leaving the dance club, and then she swipes her room key at 3.40 a.m. and joins her brother brother on the balcony of the suite. So they're both kind of winding down. They're smoking a cigarette, and after a few minutes, Brad decides that he's going to go to bed. But Amy tells him that she's not quite ready to go to sleep because she's feeling a little seasick and would like to get some, some air. Um, so... Brad tells her he loves her and heads inside. So around 5.30 a.m., the ship actually arrives in Curacao and Ron wakes up, but he stays in bed and just kind of, you know, like looks around and how you do when you're first waking up. And he sees Amy um, on the balcony and everything appears to be fine, good to go. So he kind of lays his head back down and dozes off for another 20 minutes or so. Um, he finally wakes up just before 6 a.m., to get ready to have breakfast on the island. I can't even imagine being on a cruise and getting off and nope. like eating breakfast on an island. How amazing does that sound? Well, I've, I've done it minus the ship part and it is amazing. Yeah. So he notices that Amy's no longer on the balcony, but he's figuring that she's probably off taking some pictures or something because Amy was an amateur photographer. She loved taking pictures and one of the things that she brought with her, and this is 98 before digital cameras were a thing, like super popular and stuff. Um, she had brought her camera and 15 rolls of film with her to take pictures. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And she had actually planned on using some of the pictures that she took of the scenery to, she had bought this trunk and then she was going to put glass over the top of it. And she wanted pictures to put on top of the trunk underneath the glass to kind of create like a little display coffee table. Mm -hmm. I mean, super creative. Yeah. Um, so he figured that she was just up there, you know, catching some pictures. So he decides to get dressed and head up to the deck. Um, but he doesn't see her up there. But he's not, like, super worried because the ship's huge. It's over a 1,000 feet. And he figures, you know, maybe she's at a different location taking different pictures. So he kind of starts to, to wander around the trip or the ship and look for her. And the more he doesn't find her, the more concerned he gets. And 
at around 7 a.m., he runs into the security chief of the ship, and his name is Lou Costello. And this is around 7 a.m., and he tells him that he can't find Amy. And, you know, kind of drawing the alert. And at that point, he runs back to his family suite to wake up his wife, Iva, to tell her that Amy is missing as well. Um, and Iva has said, like, in interviews, that it's at this point she really knew that something was wrong because Ron didn't tend to get concerned easily. It t- you know, he wasn't one of those people that just was a worry wart. Yeah. Um, she said that Ron didn't even look like himself. So she jumps out of bed and they get dressed and she and Ron go to meet with the security staff on the ship and the captain. So it's getting closer to 7.30 now and it's right around the time that guests are to be let off of the ship. Um, to go on to the island of Curacao. So the family starts begging the captain to please make an announcement about Amy, that she's, you know, they're looking for her. They can't find her. They ask that they, you know, share a picture of Amy. And they also ask that the doors be sealed on the ship until they can do a thorough search. Mm. Hang on, I got to sneeze. Hey, hey. Sorry. Bless you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> we are winners today. We can't yeah. do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and this will be the last episode of Crime Rewind for many reasons. <laughs> so they ask the the ship captain to seal the doors, and the captain says, "Absolutely not. He will not make an announcement. He will not share the picture, and he most certainly will not keep the doors sealed." Okay, I understand the door part, but why not the other stuff? Yeah, and part of that is, I think that as the captain of the ship, he has to walk a really thin line between protecting the people on board as well as um, being a spokesperson for the cruise liner. So... Like, yeah, doesn't want to cause a panic, I guess. Right. Because, you know, she's 23 years old, could be anywhere on the ship. He doesn't want to alert and be like, oh, my gosh, we've lost a passenger and have that, you know, ruin the, you know, right. people start panicking and people lose faith in the, the cruise liner. So I can kind of get it. You know, it's only been a half hour or so. So why are That's we panicking true. so crazy? Um. And he says that he will not alarm the other passengers, uh, but he does agree to help them search quietly. Um, which I, I get it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So after just minutes after the Bradleys um, begged not to let the people off the ship, they do it anyway. And hundreds of people start filing off the boat and onto the island. And everybody on the island's having a great time. But while they're off the boat, um, the family and the crew search the the ship. And Ron checks Amy's room and he kind of does an inventory of what's there. And it appears that her shoes that she, her just basic running around shoes, you know, like flip-flops or whatever, sandals, that she would wear just walking around the ship were left on the balcony. Okay. So they don't know if she wore another pair of shoes or if she went barefoot. 
Um, Why are they certain she left? Um, that I don't. They because she's not, and we'll kind of get to that. But the, because they, they just don't know where she's at. The family is sure she had to have left, and the ship's people are yeah, like, I just. I guess yeah. I'm thinking, what if she fell overboard because she was tired, drunk, whatever. Right. And we'll get to that kind of. Okay. Um, and Ron says that the only items that were missing from um, the room were Amy's lighter, her cigarettes, her room key, and $100 that she had in her pocket, and her camera with the, the roll of film that would have been in it. Oh, okay. Okay. That so that would indicate to them that she had left. Yeah. Um now, the remaining 14 rolls of film, other than the one that was in the camera, were still in the room. Um, so, around 5.30 p.m., the captain tells the family that they had searched every inch of the ship for Amy and that she was definitely not on board. At this point, the captain suggests that maybe Amy fell overboard. Um, but her family is like, yeah, that doesn't seem super likely because Amy was terrified of the water and the railing was up to her chest. Okay. So falling over it was pretty unlikely. And even if she did, her brother says that there's absolutely no way that she would even have gotten close enough to the railing to risk falling over. Okay. So then the captain suggested that maybe Amy jumped, that she had committed suicide. And the oh family's yeah, the family's like, mm, that doesn't really check out either because, number one, she's terrified of the ocean. She wouldn't use that as a method to commit suicide. And secondly, like, she had all these positive changes going in her life with her new, her new puppy and her new apartment and going to school. Like, if she had planned on killing herself, she wouldn't have taken those steps to improve her life. And she probably yeah. wouldn't have gone on the trip. She would have waited until everyone was, everyone was gone to do it, like, at home. So then the captain's like, okay, well, maybe she's on the island. Um, and again, by this time, it's about 5.30, and the the ship is planned to leave port for St. Thomas at 9.30 p.m., only giving them a few hours to search the island. Oh, no. Yeah. So the Bradleys scramble. They get off the boat, and they start searching. They try to contact the U.S. Embassy, but they're closed, and they decide to reach out to the FBI. And, of course, the FBI is willing to help, but unfortunately, they can't get there for at least 24 hours. Mm. So, the Bradleys spend that four hours searching for Amy, and they come up with nothing. Um, so, now they are in a position where they have a choice to make. They have to decide whether they are going to stay in Curacao and search for Amy on the island, or if they are going to you know, get back on the ship and in hopes of finding her there. Um, and at that point, they they get a call to their hotel room on the island. They decide to stay. And they're staying on the island, excuse me, to keep searching because, you know, they're under the impression that the the ship's been searched thoroughly and that nothing was there. So the FBI call them in their hotel room and tell them that they've made contact with the crew on the ship and they were told that a thorough search was not conducted like they had been told. Instead, the crew had only searched the common areas and restrooms. Okay. Yeah. So 
they the Royal Caribbean Cruise Company issued a report or issued a statement to um, or excuse me, an official report was released by the Royal Caribbean Cruises to the New York Times. And the Royal Caribbean spokesperson says that they told or that the Bradleys didn't even tell them that Amy had been missing until after the passengers were let off the ship. And that um, a thorough cabin by cabin search for Amy was done. So here's the thing, either the Royal Caribbean cruise line is lying or Mm -hmm. the Bradleys and the FBI are lying. Huh. My money's on the Caribbean cruise kind of like. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Cuz I I kind of hold the FBI up to a higher standard of telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, I do too. So So um the Bradleys are obviously upset because they definitely feel like they've been lied to and now they kind of feel like they made the wrong choice by staying behind on the island that there was a good chance that you know, maybe Amy was on the ship. So they contact the FBI and the FBI helps them get back onto the ship. Um, So they confront the captain once they're back on board. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And they basically rip him a new one and they're like, you lied to us and now you get to deal with the FBI. So now it is March 26th, which is two days after Amy has been missing and the FBI has conducted a thorough search of the ships. And I'm guessing that they were probably immensely more thorough than the, the captain and the crew. Um, okay. Another reason that I, we are just off our game today or that I am, and I am interrupting with something not relevant to what you're talking about, but my mind just made the connection. They okay. seriously named their son Brad Bradley. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on. Okay. Um, So, again, the FBI does their, you know, thorough search on the ship. And they went around with Amy's picture asking people if they'd seen her. Uh, They interview um, several of the guests that were on the ship. They interview Brad, Iva, and Ron um, separately as well. And while they are... um, while the Bradleys are walking around on the ship trying to, you know, make Amy's disappearance known to people and ask questions, two teenage girls run up to them in the hallway and ask um, where they've been. And then the Bradleys explain that they had gotten off back at um, the last port and asked the two girls, you know, hey, what's going on? Why are you asking? And the girls proceed to tell them that they had seen Amy that morning around 5.45 a.m., the morning that she disappeared. Okay. Which is right around the time that Ron, you know, remembers lifting his head and going back to sleep. So that leads them to believe that, of course, Amy had left the room. Um, so Ron and Iva are like, okay, let's sit down. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's hear everything. So the girls proceed to tell... Ron and Iva, that they had seen Amy with Yellow. So we'll release his name now. It is Alistair Douglas. And again, he's the bass player from the band uh, Blue Oyster on the ship. 
And can we talk about for just a brief moment what a douchey name Alistair Douglas sounds like? I no mean, wonder dude yeah. went yellow. I mean, nobody's going to sound like a cool bass player. Hello, my name is Alistair Douglas. It, it sounds like the it should third. be followed by a third or a fourth. Or I know. I just said that. I was like, Alistair Douglas the third. Esquire. Oh, <laughs> so when they saw yellow, um, they saw yellow hand Amy a dark drink that they assumed because of the time of the day was either soda or coffee. Um, and they had seen the two in the big glass elevator going back up to the club, the dance club that they were at earlier. Right. Um, so according to the Bradley family's website for Amy that they, you know, put up about her missing and looking for information, witnesses would later testify in front of a grand jury that they last saw yellow, also known as Douchey Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> leaving the upper deck alone in the elevator. And this is what makes Alistair Douglas the last person to see Amy. Um, and the FBI and the family are like bazinga. They're all over it. Um, yeah. So, um, so then when Brad hears about it too, he's like, oh, I remember that guy. They were dancing all super close the night before. Um, and they actually, Brad actually had like a really weird interaction with Yellow that morning. He was kind of just sitting for a moment, getting his bearings, you know, trying to come up with a plan in his mind on where Amy might be. Um, and he was sitting by the pool and Yellow approached him and says something like, sorry to hear about your sister. What? Which, right. Yeah. Which really wouldn't seem all that odd, you know, if. Like, if I ran into someone that I knew and something, like, their sister had gone missing, I'd be like, hey, I'm really sorry to hear about your sister. But what makes it weird is that on that morning, no one knew that Amy was missing other than the family and the ship's security. Right. But, like... I mean, unless think, someone said something to him. Right. But, like, thinking about it, too, he's part of the crew. So maybe they all have, like, crew radios where they, like, get briefings on stuff that's going on in the ship. Right. Like, even though you're not part of security, they might still send something out. Like, they be on the lookout for, you know, we have a possible missing person. You know, and he could have heard about it like that. I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt because, dude. But at the same time, it could possibly have a reasonable explanation. I mean, this is the only thing I'm going to say is that I think if you were going to harm someone, you, as an employee of the ship, or uh, I don't, that seems very unlikely to me that he would have done anything to her, but it, unless it also kind of feels like it could be like a human trafficking kind of scenario. scenario. Right. So, so Brad actually tells the FBI about this interaction and that um, sets them up for an interview with yellow. So FBI is interviewing yellow and he says that he actually had no idea that Amy was missing. He also said that he was, woken up by a cruise line manager at 6 a.m. and was asked about Amy. Um, and then it's he says that's where he heard about um, Amy being missing with his him and his bandmates. So they actually say that he assisted in the search. Um, yeah. And according to the FBI, only common areas of the ship were searched. Um, so he actually told the FBI that the last time he saw Amy was around 1 a.m. 
which of course we know based on the video surveillance and the witnesses that that's a lie, that they were holding hands and stuff later. So um, the FBI gives Yellow a polygraph test, which is determined to be inconclusive. Of course. Yeah. And by the end, they just don't have any kind of evidence to be able to hold him in regards or to hold him on charges related to Amy. So he gets let go. You know, they're like, oh, you might have had something to do with it, but we really can't do anything. So um, Ron was actually sitting in a chair outside of the room where they were conducting the polygraph. I'm assuming probably because he was next. Um, And he says that Yellow came out and kind of gave his band members a thumbs up. Like everything was cool. Mm. I'm like, what are you hiding, dude? Um, so the FBI decides that they are going to try and piece together like a timeline of Amy's morning and they get in contact they get into contact with the, the ship's photographer. So a lot of times what happens is the ship will hire photographers, private photographers to take pictures of like events and, um, like outings and things. And then they will try and sell the photos back to the guests at the end of the trip. Um, so they seek out the photographer and ask to, you know, take a look at the pictures of Amy. Um, like there had been pictures taken at that dinner, um, with her family, the dancing and all of that. And, um, all of the pictures, every single picture of Amy is gone. What? So then the FBI are like, well, did you lose a bunch of video or pictures? Did you like, did something comp- happen where they compromised? And the strange thing is out of the 2000 passengers on board and the tons of pictures that were taken, only Amy Lynn Bradley's are the ones that are missing. Interesting. And on top of that, the photographer distinctly remembers taking pictures of Amy. Um, but they are never, the FBI is never able to pinpoint or determine what happened to the pictures or who was responsible for them disappearing. How could you not figure that out? Who else had access to the camera? Exactly. Like, it's not like everybody on the boat had access to this photographer's camera. Right. That seems like lazy police work to me. So then the Royal Caribbean Cruises actually even hired a videographer, a guy named Chris Fenwick, to shoot video of the trip. And they did this because at the end, they would always show like a video of everybody's, you know, activities. just like a, yeah. A highlight reel. Yeah. So he went around filming, filming people having good times, laughing, dancing, eating. And this included video of Amy Lynn Bradley. Um, but he, Chris, the videographer gets a call from the person in charge of the project. Like he's not freelance and he actually works for a company. Right. And they tell him that he needs to edit out all of the footage that Amy has or that has Amy in it for a final showing. And that might, I mean, it can make a little bit of sense. Maybe they don't, they want to be respectful of the family and not, you know, show the footage, you know? Well, did they say get rid of the footage or edit it out of that video? Edit it out. Okay. That's okay if they didn't delete it. And Chris is like, well, okay, I can do that. Um, and so on top of this, the guy actually tells Chris that he needs a copy or he needs the master tapes. Okay. And Chris is like, no. And he explains 
that he's seen the video footage or the video equipment that the ship has. And not only do they not have the technology to review the master tapes, but he also says, you know, these are mine. Um, they're my property. I don't give them away. And he offers to make copies of the tapes instead. So Lou, the guy from the company, is agitated. And he's like, well, the FBI wants them. And Chris is like, well, okay. If the they, FBI they, wants they them. They can ask me. <laughs> yep. They can contact me. And the conversation's over. And it wouldn't be until a few years later when Chris sees something about Amy's story that he realizes, it jogs his memory, that the FBI never actually contacted him for the tapes. Mm. So where is Lou now? <laughs> Don't know. And it occurs to Chris that it's probably the cruise line trying to cover their own asses because it shows, so much of the footage shows Amy with one of their, their cruise employees, Yellow. Yeah. So what does Chris do with this this footage? What what would you do if you had it? Uh, if I had it, I would turn it over to the FBI. Well, that's pretty similar to what Chris does, but he has figured out that things have a way of going missing when it comes yeah. to Amy. So instead, he edits a compilation of the footage and uploads it to YouTube. Ooh, okay. And it's still there today. He should have at least sent it to her family. Well, I'm, I'm sure he did, but he wanted it to be out in the world so it just couldn't disappear. So nothing incriminating on there, I'm guessing, since it's still a cold case? Yeah. So we're jumping back to March of 1998 and Yellow changing a story and the crew members giving different stories. The FBI begins to believe that this could be a planned kidnapping conspiracy and that maybe Amy had been watched. Mm -hmm. Um and maybe lured to the island later and yellow you know had lured her to the island to be sold but unfortunately there's just not any evidence to charge anybody on the ship yeah um so on march 28th 1998 as planned the rhapsody of the seas completes its journey and docks back in puerto rico and the bradleys fly home to virginia um Without Amy. And they waste absolutely Yikes. no time trying to find her. They do as many interviews as the media will let them. And they offer a $260,000 reward. Um, they consult with psychics. And they even created a website to help look for Amy. They hired private detectives and um, actually paid these private detectives to sneak back onto the ship posing as guests to look for anything that might help them find Amy. And they actually took the two rolls of film that were actually used and had them developed. Um, but it was mostly just scenic pictures of like Puerto Rico and Aruba and nothing really could help them find where Amy was. So yeah. um, nothing really that could help find her went on for weeks and there's nothing. So then on April 21st, 1998, Ron and Brad fly back to Curacao to look for Amy and they rent a car and drive everywhere they can. Um, and they hand out flyers, talk to people, and it's a full day of searching and they are absolutely exhausted. And they head back to the hotel um, and they kind of feel like maybe this trip has been a waste because they've come up with nothing. They're, you know, getting really frustrated. Um, but the next day that they are there, they get a tip that would change everything. 
um, less than 24 hours after Brad and Ron got back to Curacao to search for Amy, they get a call from a man who drives a taxi. And um, on the morning that Amy went missing, he was parked near where the ship like had docked. And he said he usually parked there because he was hoping to get a fare from one of the, you know, cruise passengers. So um, he says just minutes after the passengers began to come off the ship, a woman runs up to his taxi and asking him frantically where she can find a phone. And the man says he will never forget the woman's eyes, that she had the most beautiful green eyes. And yes, Amy had beautiful green eyes. So this sparks an even larger search for Amy and local police help with this one. And they look everywhere. Um, And at one point they're driving around and Ron says that he hears Amy yell his name. What? From a van that's parked. And then the van starts to move. So he and Brad start following the van. Like it goes through neighborhoods. It goes, uh, you know, highways and Eventually it parks and they go and knock on this van and the guy opens it up and he's just a a normal guy. And Ron's like, you know, I don't know if I heard her voice from somewhere and thought it was this van or it was my mind playing tricks on me that I needed to hear it to know, to feel like I was doing something. He's like, it may have just been my body or my mind telling me what I needed to hear, which makes sense. I mean, I can't imagine, you know not knowing where your loved one is every corner you turn every person that you see from the back looks like them it would it would be torture yeah um so um unfortunately a week after the they get to the island they don't find anything so they head back to virginia but before they can even get home there is another break in the case um when brad and ron land in miami for a layover they call home And Ira says she tells them about a harbor chief in Curacao had called to say that the body of a Caucasian female with brown hair matching Amy's description had been found. Which, I mean, probably a sense of relief, like, okay, maybe we finally know where she is. To that, that's sad, you know, I don't know where, or, you know, I won't know where my child is. Um. And it takes 24 hours for them to be able to match the identity. And they get the call and it's not Amy. Mm. Um, in fact, it's not even a female. It, oh. Yeah. And, but they told her it was the body of a female with brown hair matching the description. But here's the thing. Um, it wasn't even actually a body at all. It had just been a piece of spine and part of the pelvis. Ooh. Yeah. So, Okay. Um, I couldn't find anything that they had ever actually identified who that was, but it was not Amy. So that left them with hope that she was still alive. So they go back to the media to, to search and try and find more answers about, you know, where she is. And they keep in contact with the Curacao police and the FBI and cruise ship officials um, throughout the Caribbean. And they also contact, I mean, they get creative. Um, they not only exhaust all the resources, but they, you know, get creative with different ways to search for Amy. So they contact ham radio operators and plan a mass email marketing campaign. And that would send out thousands of personal emails to people that live in the Caribbean and South America. But there is still no 
sign of Amy and there wouldn't be until um, May of 1999. So this is like a year after she goes missing. Um, a guy named David Carmichael had seen a segment about Amy on America's Most Wanted and um, he was just being a good Samaritan and he didn't even want any part of the reward money or anything. He just wanted to help. Um, but he says about five months after Amy went missing, he was on a beach washing off some scuba diving equipment. And he saw a woman walking that looked like Amy. And she was in the company of a white guy and a black guy. And he hollered to one of his shipmates, you know, hey, do you have one of my pieces of um, equipment? And it was at that point, I don't know if it's because maybe she recognized that he speaks English and he's American, but she um, walked over to him um, and they, they walked past and they passed him and he turned around and yelled at his buddy. Um, the girl spun around and came back towards him um, and she stared right at him as if she was going to say something. And then the black guy came right over and like motioned her to come with him, but he didn't actually touch her. So she put her head down and followed him back to the cafe um, that was near where this dock was. And they sat down and ordered drinks. Uh, and they were able to see her with the, the people that she was with. And every once in a while, they would look over at her and she would be looking down at the ground. And every once in a while, she would look up and make eye contact with them. Um, they couldn't hear what they were talking about. Um, and they actually left before the, the girl and the two guys did. Um, but he ended up flying to the Bradley home to meet with them about this sighting. And he was able to describe Amy's tattoos and her mannerisms exactly. And he said that he was 100% sure that it was Amy and her parents believed him. Um, mm. But the sucky part was that was it had been a year before that he had seen her. So going back to that cafe and asking questions was pretty useless. Um, right. Nobody really remembered. Um, so this kind of confirms what the Bradley's biggest fear was that Amy had been kidnapped and was being held against her will, but it gave them hope that they would be able to, to get her back. So yeah. this is when they get an email from a gentleman named Frank Jones. And Frank Jones says that he wants to help them and explains that he is a former U.S. Army Special Forces officer and that he has a team of Navy SEALs and ex-Army Rangers at his disposal who could help find and rescue Amy. Um, and Bradley, or the Bradleys say that he, he even quoted to them saying that he would put her on his own back and swim her out of there if he needed to. Wow. Yeah. So they had so much hope that, um, that she would be found alive. And especially since um, David Carmichael's record of seeing her. And then now they had this guy that was willing to help. Um, but he warns them that this will take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of money. So they dig into their savings, uh. solicit donations, and make it happen. And Jones gets right to work on a new lead in Curacao, where a woman named Judith Margarita said that she um, knew that Amy was being held captive in a home um, 
by Colombian guards in a housing complex that was surrounded by barbed wire. And she says that she regularly saw Amy at the grocery store, going to the gym, and that she was usually accompanied by a man with long blonde hair and a sleeve of tattoos. Um, she also said that she or she's also was able to accurately describe all of Amy's tattoos, um, especially that Tasmanian devil on her shoulder. Um, so she even reported that one day she had heard Amy humming a specific lullaby. And when Ira heard that, she immediately got hopeful because that is a lullaby she used to sing to Amy when she was little. So again, family was convinced that this is it. This is, we're going to get Amy back. So um, Frank sends two of his men down there to speak with Judith and check out the lead. And they set up surveillance points at all the places Judith told them um, that they had seen Amy. And they watched as a dark green SUV believed to have been driven by the man that abducted her. Um, But after a week or so, the men abandoned the mission um, when some of the armed men from the, the the housing complex or whatever started shooting at them. So yeah, this didn't deter Frank though. He sent more men back to the Island and provided a bunch of reports about um, Amy sightings and her whereabouts. And then in the fall of 2000, Frank Jones goes to the Bradley family and says, okay, I think it's time we need to get Amy out, but it's going to cost a lot of money. And he requests an additional hundred thousand dollars. So the Bradleys scramble. They now keep in mind they have exhausted all of their savings, spent the money that was donated. So they actually end up going to Ron's boss and they ask him for the money and a private jet. And what does the boss say? I'm assuming he says yes. Yes, he says absolutely. (laughs) Um, He says we will do whatever it takes to make this happen. Um, We will pay any amount of money anything that you need um, to bring Amy home. But the Bradleys tell Frank that we need some kind of proof that she's actually there. And Frank Jones says, no problem. And he sends them pictures of a man with long blonde hair and a woman on the beach from behind. And once they see the tattoo of the woman's ankle and the Tasmanian devil on her shoulder, the Bradleys pay Frank Jones and tell him to get their daughter home now. So the Bradleys fly down to Florida and they wait for Frank's call. Um, So they're waiting there for a week and Ira is so determined that this is it. This is the time that during that week, she's only left the hotel room twice because she's afraid if she leaves, then she's going to miss the call saying they got Amy back. Right. Um, But the call from Frank Jones never comes. And they actually get a call from a man that worked for Frank Jones who told them that Frank Jones was a liar and a fraud. Um, he tells the Bradleys that he was working for Frank Jones, watching the house for Amy. And that was supposedly being held at, and he never saw anything. Um, and the people that lived in that house appeared to be completely normal, nothing out of the ordinary, no funny business. And he says that he heard Frank Jones telling the Bradleys that his people were watching the house right at that moment. And that's what he knew. It was a lie because he was with Frank. And they were watching just this normal house, you know, like, what in the world? So after this, another man came forward um, 
his name was Johan Sanks. And this man told ABC News that he was the man from the photos that they had that had been sent to the Bradley family. And he admitted wearing a long blonde wig and pretending to be Amy's captor. And the photo or the woman in the photo was absolutely not Amy. And it was just an acquaintance of Frank Jones. And they were fake tattoos. And apparently they had gone to a tattoo artist and shown them pictures of Amy's tattoos and had the tattoo artist recreate those in stencil and then place them strategically on the woman's body to match Amy. Um, They also discovered that the original tip from Judith was a flat out lie. Her son actually worked for a security firm in Curacao um, and came forward to say that his mom was in on the scam. Wow. Yeah. So this entire time, the Bradleys were just being scammed. Um, Now, Frank Jones would later be sentenced to prison. Um, He never worked in special forces. And in total, he stole over $200,000 from the, the Bradleys. Um, and he pled guilty to mail fraud and sentenced to five years in prison in order to pay back all the money he stole. Well, the problem is, yeah, they can get the money back, um, but, but all that the, time is gone. Yeah, time and emotion and heartache and ugh, fuck yeah. That. <laughs> so this is where it kind of ends, where people are under the impression, like, you know, is Amy a victim of? A tragedy on the boat was she taken off the boat you know and killed or is she still alive somewhere on the islands they just don't know and there have been some reported sightings um you know of amy and there were um there's actually a detective neville um who is a forensic artist from the international association of identification Um, And he actually took one of these photos and forensically analyzed it. um, And he said that he was willing to bet his career that it was Amy. Um, But unfortunately, uh, there's just, there's no way to track down the woman. And that's where the case is now. We're here in 2023 with no answers, no additional sightings. The Bradleys have exhausted all of their, um, their methods and their means to help look for their daughter and they're just, they're stuck. Yeah. So this is where I say, you know, it, you know, on the angry Amanda face scale, the 4.5, because just the yeah. lying and the lack of effort on so many people's parts. So yeah. it's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, it, it feels, it feels like probably some kind of, um, 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 um human trafficking kind of thing it's given me heavy natalie holloway vibes oh yeah that too for sure i thought that too when you first started talking yeah so if you had to scale it out on the angry amanda's face scale what would you give it yeah definitely a four to four and a half because it's just infuriating yeah so with that being said um we do encourage you to take a look you know at, at the show listen leave comments definitely go do research on your own and see if you can come up with any theories and we would definitely love to hear about them but uh, other than that do you want to touch base on what you have going on amanda uh yeah man just so sad okay um so 
the sip list. What is coming up on the sip list? Um, just released top five Fleetwood Mac songs. We will have coming up um, TV theme songs and movie quotes. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. And then Literature Reapers were in the middle of uh, 19 minutes, our book for the month. So we'll be dropping a mid-month check-in and then reviewing at the beginning of September. Yeah. And basically everything Amanda told you about, I'm involved in too, so I don't have yeah. to repeat it. <laughs> but exactly. other than that, you can catch us every Tuesday um, as we tell you about the old, cold, and often untold cases in the true crime world. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 <laughs>